Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, the podcast that goes into trying to find out how we find our finish lines every day of the week. And we are presented by Curad, the official medical supplier of Ironman, where you can find the Curad products at Amazon, on Walmart.com, and at Ironman.com. The great far-infrared kinesiology tape, you see me with this on at races just because it really works. So check it out. Well, as I said, this finish line is talking to all kinds of people that have jumped over hurdles their entire life to get to where they are today and always know that they have to keep jumping them to find their finish lines. And my guest today is one that's been doing that quite a bit. Ryan Kinder, country music star, Iron Man, Iron Man Foundation ambassador. Uh, Ryan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. We're uh couple weeks out of Kona and I actually got back to training which is surprising because I got my butt beat so I didn't well, think I'd well, you, you know I was gonna I was I'm gonna start with that and then we'll I want to go into the obviously the music and then come back but uh have you recovered I not not a hundred percent I don't really know how the pros do it so quick because I know uh, a couple of them were in Kona and then went to St. George, and there's no way I could have raced yeah. St. George. I, I was just beat. Obviously, this is their uh, job, and they're very good at recovery. They're good at everything. That's why they're pros. But I couldn't imagine even trying to toe the line in St. George. That's Unbelievable. Well, Ryan, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of a hard time. So when people finish an Ironman, they always want to be below that hour mark. Well, you went 14 hours and 51 seconds, dude. Couldn't you find 52 seconds somewhere to go 13:59? <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you can tell people, oh, I went 13 hours. You know, that's true. I, I that was my worst Ironman to date, and. Dude, I just fell apart. I The previous year, I broke my collarbone. I got hit by a car on my bike. So my training <laughs> wasn't really up to par. And I was going into that race. And my my goal was 13 hours. And I was so close. I didn't realize it was 51 seconds. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I wasn't going to do well. Or as well as I'd hoped. Or as well as I'd done in the past. So it was more of, to put it specifically towards this podcast, I was just trying to find my finish line. And that was one of the hardest days I've ever had, knowing I was undertrained. I made the mistake of underwriting, thinking that that would give me longevity in the run, and that just kept me out on the course longer and led me to fall apart once I hit the energy lab. and everybody's got a story about the energy lab. I've got my own and yes, it is brutal. And once, once I hit there, it, it all fell apart and it was, it was a battle just to, just to finish. But that's what it's well, about. You're not. Yeah, it is. And, and you know how many times I've heard the stories of people tell me their story, just like yours, Ryan, because 
Iron Man Hawaii, Kona, it's never what you think it's going to be, even though people have told you, even though veterans come back and do it again and go, my gosh, this was so much different than before because it, every race seems to have its own personality and, and agony and, and defeats. And, but <clears throat> what I tell everybody, what you always have to remember, you did cross that finish line and you need to be proud of that for the rest of your life. I'm extremely proud for the reasons I did it and just for the reasons everything it meant to me and we were talking the other day I remember telling you that I don't remember you calling me through and you <laughs> no. said that happens all the time but I do remember you coming and giving me a hug afterwards I I bawled like a baby it was so good to see your face saw my wife saw my mom but I have no recollection of crossing the finish line and hearing you I remember brief moments of crossing but I was in such a deteriorated mental state that I don't remember. That's so sad, but I do remember giving you a hug and you saying it there. And that means so much more than crossing the finish line and hearing you say it. So thank well, you. I, I appreciate that. You're welcome. And, and uh, you know how many people have told me, Mike, you didn't call me and the <laughs> partner or spouse or husband's there going, yes, he did. I heard it. What you, what you, you were delirious. <laughs> Especially so, yeah. at the hour mark I was at, there was no mental capacity to remember much. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a minute too, because I had a little look back and forth with Heather, which was which was a, a classic. So, but I want to go back. We'll, we'll we'll come back to Ironman and triathlon. Your career, uh, you you know, you're born in Tennessee. You grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, it influenced you and and your singing career. How how did the the place influence you? I think it influenced me because it was such a central hub in the Southeast for touring acts to come through. It's so close to places in Florida, Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee. Birmingham's kind of right in the middle of that Southeast circuit and all these major acts would come through and I would go see them. I remember being, I had to have been 12 or 13 years old. Eric Clapton came and my parents wow. took me. And that was like the moment, that was the aha moment of, I want to do that. I want to be that guy on stage. I didn't really know Clapton as well as I did after I saw him. I knew the hits. But once I saw him, I mean, Robert Cray was on stage, like the all-star band. I delved so deep into his catalog and who he learned from and who he respected. And that kind of branched me out and became this musical schooling of a sort and since my parents kind of took me to that I I started listening to what they had to say about music a lot more because they they'd proven themselves worthy of mm -hmm. a child's <laughs> love of music which is so silly I, I should have listened to them before my mother had so many records from what I call like the troubadour era of California country Eagles Linda Ronstadt James Taylor um, all oh, those yeah. guys Jackson Brown. So I, I kind of fell into that era of music and let it shape me. And it, it was, it was mostly the records that my parents played. And then with the ones that were alive, they would come to tour in Birmingham and that central hub 
of touring, I think, was a massive, yeah, massive so reason right. of why I play like I do, why I sing like I do, why I, like, I write like I do. See, and you were a... You were a baseball player. My gosh, what if they'd taken you to a major league game somewhere? <laughs> Would you, you know, but they took you to a concert, and that, that changed your life. That's I, beautiful. I'm glad they took me to a concert and, and not a baseball <laughs> game because I wouldn't— I don't think I would be as happy. You you know your purpose in this life. It was—what's um, the Mark Twain quote? The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And I found out why at that Clapton concert. Like, I, I don't think I could do anything else and be as content and happy as I am like that. And we'll, that is, and we'll talk about it later, how you all of us, you know, you find yourself sharing the stage with Eric Clapton. That's amazing in itself to me. Full circle moment for sure. Yeah. So you grew up, obviously, with your parents' influence. You had country around you. You had pop music. You had soul. You had rock, rock and roll. Uh, so how'd you, how'd you find your path? Like, you know, when a singer sings and you listen to him, and I'll talk about when I first heard you at Ironman Florida, you, you know, people always want to and labels and the music business, which is the toughest. It's got to be the toughest business, along with acting, there is in the world. They try to label you and put you into a category. Did you try to do that to yourself, or did you say, "Hey, I'm a country guy, or I'm a soul guy, or I'm a pop guy"? I, what? How'd you, how'd you work that out within yourself? There, there were moments in time, eras of my musical career that I, I did chase radio. I did chase mm. the status quo of what would get you to where you think you want to be, and I don't think that's true in anyone's heart if you chase after something you know you're not it's it's not going to be fulfilling and i mean i didn't i didn't get there in a sense of what i was trying to shoot for in that moment and i'm glad i didn't because i wouldn't be who i am today yes there've been so many ups and downs but it's that road traveled that makes you who you are it's every little up and down it's every little twist and turn pain, joy, and it would have been different. And I don't know if I would want anything to be different outside of um, maybe being a little more financially secure, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's where I'm supposed to be. And to go back to what you were saying earlier with believability, Sam Cooke was one of the artists that my mother played a record um, when I was a kid and I delved into that and I remember reading a quote of his that said um, well a lady came up to him at the show after a show and said Sam Cook your your voice is so beautiful it's it's amazing and he stopped her and said a voice not ought be judged by how beautiful you think it is but how much it makes you believe the words I'm singing and I've tried to instill that in everything I do because when I'm on stage, if I don't believe what I'm singing, nobody listening is going to believe it. Why would they? Why should they? So writing, recording music that I can get on stage every night and believe with all my heart is, I mean, that that's, that's the silver you. bullet. Yeah. I mean, if I look at Chris Stapleton. He had been 
in Nashville for years writing hits for other people. And he stuck true to who he was and his style. And by a act and grace of God or piece of luck or whatever you want to call it, Justin Timberlake found him and asked him to come join him or Stapleton asked Timberlake to join him on that award show. And that was the catalyst for every bit of change he had and the meteoric rise. But he stayed true to who he was because if he tried to sing anything that wasn't him, nobody would believe it. Yeah, it it would sound incredible, but it's just so earnest when he does it because he believes it with all his soul. I think that's the bedrock of anything so you then do. You, yeah, exactly. And then you move on to, you, you move to Nashville, you leave Birmingham, and now you're in, <laughs> you're in the heart of it all. You're in a place that people go to and they end up waiting tables longer than anything else. Uh, as you know, it's a, it's a difficult business. And you had successes and rejections and the ups and downs of, of that world are, you know, they're the ups and downs of life. Did, did you see yourself saying, well, you know what, maybe I have to sing another way or do this to be able to, quote unquote, make it? Did that ever enter your mind or did you say, I, I can't make that mistake, I've got to be me? Because that's a very tough you know, obviously you talked about financial. You go, you know, I want to be able to create a great living out of this, out of my passion, out of my love. But then people are pulling you the other way. How'd you, how'd you deal with that? That absolutely happened. And I feel like that happens with every, everybody. I'm sure it happened with Stapleton. He was just older and wiser than I was and made the right decision. He, he did have one song that he tried to push to radio that, that wasn't, a hundred percent him. I feel like he listened to his label a little bit on that, but he, he made a quick turn. I, I stayed in that, um, about face moment a, a little bit too long. It was one of those moments where some stuff goes wrong and you start grasping and you're looking for something to catch on to, to keep you where you are. And that was a mistake. And luckily I have some very close friends in town that, are completely honest with me there. I mean, there's a lot of yes people in every business. They want to be around whatever's hot or what's, what's up and coming, what's seeming to be successful at the moment. And they're, they're saying yes to be a part of that. And then you have those true, true friends that will tell you how it is. And my producer, Luke Sheets, we had a long, long conversation after I kind of went on that foray of chasing and he was just honest with me. He said, this, this isn't you. This doesn't sound like you. This is not why I was so taken with you when I first met you. What are you doing? And it was a come to Jesus meeting of what am I doing? Why am I, why am I chasing something that's not truly going to make me happy and not truly resonate with people that want to listen? Ryan, so I, what were you, what were you chasing? What, what, what bad thing out of your comfort zone were you chasing? success, this wild notion that if I sang the songs that I'm told to sing, it will, it will get me a ACM or Grammy or playing arenas. And the thing that does that is honesty. I think it's 
being true to who you are. I mean, some of the people you listen to, they're so good and they're so known because of how true they were to what they believed in. And I kind of took a left turn because I got scared. I got scared that the ride was over and I wasn't going to be able to make a living doing what I'm doing. So it was one of those panic moments. And luckily I have very good friends and family to tell me how it is. Tell me, hey, you can do that, but we know who you really are. Do that and you'll be full here and maybe full here. But it's it's more about staying true to who you are and just being honest. Yeah, that's and you know what? That push and pull happens to so many of us in life of going down a path of, well, look at this financially and this is what they tell me I'm going to be successful at and so that's what I'm going to do. And people do go down that path and they are successful. But I've talked to so many that when they get older, they get in their 50s, they go, you know what, I, I did this for the wrong reasons. And they actually change their paths older in life. And, and I think you seeing it at a younger age uh, has to be very gratifying for you. It's gratifying. It's also, it's weird to have learned it at well, such a young age. I feel like I had to grow up very, very fast. Even with what I did as a kid, I was I was touring when I was 15. I was playing bars and stuff, and I did miss out on some of the childhood, but luckily I didn't miss out on all of it. It mm-hmm. was just, it was strange to have that much freedom and that much responsibility at that age. I'm sure there are other people with more responsibility that were younger that, that handled it well. And luckily I had, um, a great family and friend base to keep me in line. It was just weird. It's, it's a strange thing to be in that position to where I could have gone in a terrible direction, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting creativity and no matter what you do, but to be creative in your line of work to be able to write words that you mean and to sing those words that people realize you mean, isn't it sometimes for you to be creative, you have to go back into some, you know, are you, bad times? Are you most creative when all of a sudden you're down and, and you, you, you go, I, I need to write this out of me. I need to get it out of me. Is that where your creativity comes from? Most of the time. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but uh, maybe it was Picasso. Misery breeds genius. And I'm not Mm. saying that I'm a genius, but I feel like you internalize and you feel more when it hurts that bad. And it's a lot easier to pull those feelings out than when you are content. It's, I feel like to take it back to triathlon, like Lionel Sanders, like he's, he's scratching at that number one spot. And can't quite get there, but I feel like he is going to work so much harder having not attained that than he would have if he had gotten it super quick. That just seems like his mindset. I could be totally off base. I don't know him at all. 
but that that would be my mindset. I can't I can't quite get there. So let me work harder. Yeah, and and uh it's in your business, it's a never-ending process, isn't it? Whether you're 35 years old or 65 years old, you've got to go through that process and grind no matter how successful you are, because I think the most successful singers in the world, the ones that are true to themselves, keep grinding. Uh, you, you find yourself being a grinder, don't you? you? You have to be. I mean, there's no pension. There's no tenure. You have to oh, yeah. got to get it right and be smart with everything you get when you do get it right. That's, that's a lot of responsibility, but that's what we signed up for. This is, this is part of the job. Yeah. And, and also, you know, one more time on the rejection end, when you have labels that all of a sudden leave you and, and say that, uh, you know, you're not the type of person or singer or whatever they're looking for, but then didn't that prompt you to, you know what, I can do this on my own. I can, I can pull this off. You, you either, there, there's no middle ground when a rejection like that happens. There's no meandering. It's either you're going to go far left or far right. You're either going to take those words to heart and believe that you weren't good enough and let your soul be crushed by that rejection, or you're going to say, well, there was a reason they signed me in the first place. I resonated with a lot of people for a reason. So let me get back to that and hone in on exactly what it was that got me to the point before this unfortunate event happened. It was, Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a soul search to figure out why people cared and how to get back to what made them care. That goes so in line, Ryan, with, with so many people that cross a, an Ironman finish line when they've been told their entire lives they can't do that. Like, what are you doing? You, you weren't a swimmer. You weren't a cyclist. You, you ran a little bit in high school, and you want to do this Ironman thing? And those are sometimes from people that love them. Uh, but they push through, they persevere, and they get to the finish line. And they don't stop. And that's the way I see your business. You can't, you can't stop. You can't, you can't let up. And your creativity... Uh, has to keep coming, but it's not always there, is it? It's not, you sit down and go, okay, well, what do I have here? I don't have anything. <laughs> it's like a day out on the course. Sometimes you don't have the legs. It, it it just happens, which sucks, but luckily for me, I, I have tomorrow to try and get back in that headspace to create and, and make something that I'm proud of. Bad thing about racing is it's race day. Your legs aren't there. Too bad. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> Walk, crawl, whatever you can do. That's, that's what Ju- we say. <laughs> Julie Mossett, let's go. Yeah, yeah, baby. I'm, I'm going to find that finish line. That's, that's something else. Well, yeah, you, you have uh, a lot of idols in the business, and we'll talk about that. But have you seen uh, Ryan Kinder influence anybody else in your profession to – you know, be healthier, get in better shape, go out for a run. Have, have you seen that happen, your influence? Absolutely. It's, it's, 
it's weird when f- people first hear about what I first heard about what I was doing. It it was yeah. most people were taken aback and and very defensive or very critical of like, oh, that sounds terrible. What are you doing? <laughs> this is the worst idea you've ever had. Why are you wasting time on this? And I get to explain my why. I I needed a polarizing thing to get me back on track. I needed something more to reach for. I needed a a North Star mentally, and this had become it. And slowly but surely, I can see some of my friends like, hey, let's go on a run, or I'm thinking about doing a sprint. Do you have any thoughts or advice? And I say, yeah, I knew, I knew you'd come around. It's <laughs> pe- people see. Well, Julie, Ju- uh, talking about Julie Moss, she was at the Ironman Foundation breakfast right. in Kona, and somebody said, "Hey, go out there and have fun." And she came up and spoke and said, "Guys, this isn't fun at all. This is zero fun. You will not be out there. Maybe there's a few instances while you're racing, you will say, "Wow, I'm in Kona. This is incredible." But it's not fun. It is painful. So you have to switch your thinking. This is the most intense gratification you will ever have in your life. And that blew my mind. I've been thinking this was fun ever since I started. And once she said that, I just kind of felt this like, ah, I, I get it now. And now I can talk about it a lot more earnestly because I understand it's not fun. It is that that needing to hear you call our names. There's a reason why everybody needs that. And it's the gratification of finishing that race, hearing you call their name or not remembering at all. If you're in that mental state (laughs) and knowing that you accomplished something greater than you ever thought you could, or ever thought your, your friends ever thought you could. So they see me talking about going through times in my life and what what this finish line means to me and I think it turns their thinking around of oh this isn't just something silly he's doing there's a reason there is a why and I feel like people are drawn toward that it's it's a gravitational pull to like oh I I want to find something like that I want to feel that hold on everyone we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors Curad, the official medical supplier of Iron Man. Let Curad keep you strong so those strains and pains of training and you trying to find your finish line go away. With their wraps, races, and tape, and especially their far-infrared kinesiology tape that'll keep you strong through all your training. Check out their products today on Amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and let Curad help you Find your finish line. Well, we're talking with Ryan Kinder, singer, songwriter, uh, Ironman athlete. And we were talking to a guy that did a 24-hour ride indoor during the pandemic. You know, that even blew me away, buddy. I I mean, (laughs) to raise money for the Ironman Foundation. I I kept tuning in. I'd send you a message. And I felt 
I felt guilty. I think I went for like an 80-mile ride that day, and I was like 40-mile shape. I go, I got to, Ryan, that <laughs> SOB's still on a bike, for God's sakes. And then, I, then I'd see you, and your head would be down and up, and I'd want to, it was like I wanted to be next to you. Come on, you can do this. Oh, but uh, that was amazing in itself, doing that. You, that was, you talk that about was your friends probably thinking you were nuts doing Iron Man. My God, 24 hours? <laughs> that was the dumbest idea I've ever had in my life. I could say that without a doubt, without a doubt. That was, that was on par with the pain I felt in Kona. It was awful. I will never, ever do that again. I'm glad I raised the money, but that is off the table. (laughs) Well, you also, you know, the juggling so many age groupers and pro, you know, especially the age groupers have to juggle life with their training. Uh, the raising of kids, going to work, keeping a relationship solid, you know, the whole deal, and then getting the mileage in, getting up at the early hours. How did you juggle that? Because you didn't stop singing or writing. You're, you know, you're in the middle of producing right now and why you were doing an Ironman. There was a moment in time my wife, Heather, said I, I, was, I was training in the middle of the day and I was wasting time when I should be, should have been spending it on music. And it was one night she said, Hey, Mm. if you want to be a professional triathlete, tell me right now and we will make the shift. But if not, you have to make a change. And she's, she's brilliant like that. She can see when I'm getting off course. And my mother was like this too. I needed a realigning and it was kind of a, an ass whipping in a sense. They would, (laughs) Sorry. Um, no, I, I, I'm just laughing. I, I love it because uh, isn't it amazing how you don't want to hear some things and you hate it, but you know it's true? Those are the things you need to hear the most. So she, she told me that, and I realized, no, 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 I, don't, I want nothing to do with being a professional triathlete. This is, this is something inside of me. This is not an aspiration that I have to podium as a pro so i made the decision i'm going to get up at four o'clock every morning and get everything i have done training wise before i would normally be awake starting my regular day and that's what i did i i was up that might be normal for everybody else but i was not a 4 a.m guy i know you're an early riser that's that's probably normal for you but i i'd wake up late i would stay up late for some reason the later it gets in the day into late night, into morning, I feel more creative maybe because I'm not worried about things I need to do that day, but that's how I was before triathlon. And I had to make the change and rewire my brain to get up, get the work done, and then get to your real job and finish that with as much vigor and as as much yeah, passion as you can. Ryan, you're in a late night business. You grew <laughs> up, you're, you're out on touring when you're 14 years old. It's not like, you know, you went on stage at one in the afternoon and we're done at three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. You know? <laughs> and so that's the world. I can see where that would be very difficult when, you know, your nights end at 2 a.m. and you sleep and get your six, eight hours of sleep. And and to switch that around, I... That's admirable because that had to be a tough switch on on uh, everything, biorhythms, lifestyle, the the whole deal. So I, did, that, that's, I didn't want to do it, but I wanted I wanted <laughs> to hear not. you call my name more. 
<laughs> so what was that like? Being on stage with the likes of Steve Winwood, Eric Clapton, Santana. I mean, you find yourself, as we talked before about Full Circle, with a guy like Clapton, and and now you're out on the road and you're touring with some of those types of people. And that, I mean, is that like a pinch myself moment almost every night you're with them? It, it was... In the moment, I didn't realize how surreal it was. Um, I'm the kind of person that realizes what is happening and appreciates the moment after the fact. Uh, a memory is more powerful to me than the moment, and I've tried to rewire myself to change in that way. But when I was younger, I would think back on things and realize, wow, that was one of the most pivotal moments of my life. I wish I'd appreciated it more, and I had trouble figuring out how to do that. But you you grow older, and you figure out how to stay and be in the moment. But I realize so how how sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I I just it, it, so many times uh, when we have moments in our lives that are watershed moments. It's like it takes a while to realize them later, and I, I understand that from you. But you, you appreciate it now, and are you going back on the road at ne all? Next year, we're going to finish up this record. We're, uh, we're actually in this last round of mixes um, right now. Actually, I should have – I actually just got a text, so I should have a mix to listen to <laughs> of a song. Once we I'm get that out, taking you away from the studio. My God, oh, no, I'm taking no. you away from work. <laughs> my my part of the job is done for the record, and now it's the mix engineer and the mastering, and then my job starts again. So it's a nice little hiatus in between. But we'll we'll release that record early next year, and then start touring again. It's been weird with the pandemic. We we didn't tour very much because it was such a weird climate with the the entire touring business i think somebody said we're we're at about 85 percent back now it's not like it was it might not mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. be like it was but it was tough for people at my level to afford to be able to go out and tour like we did before because the guarantees just weren't there a lot of the venues were gone um, people weren't going out to shows it was taking a it was a just a slow slog to get back to where we are now, which I can't complain. Some people are still dealing with the ramifications of the pandemic. It's that's just how it is in my business. Well, I, I can't wait to hear the new releases and, and uh, <clears throat> no doubt Mike Riley is going to come and see you on the road somewhere. I'll, t I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely. You know, we met, we met in 2019 at Ironman Florida. The Ironman Foundation had asked you to come and and uh, be a part of the event. And you, uh, I met you and Heather there, which, by the way, you know, she's a sweetheart. I got to tell you, you're a lucky guy. Yes, I am. But uh, <laughs> uh, you got up on stage at the welcome ceremony. I got a chance to introduce you. I really didn't know who you were, uh, and I apologize for that. But no. After I listened to the one one song you sang, and I don't know if it was close or I don't know, I forget what you sang, but it got to me. I, I go, what is this guy doing at an Ironman welcome ceremony? <laughs> and I don't know who the hell he is when this voice and what's coming and the way you were playing the guitar and, 
it was just so natural and pure and, and passionate. So Thank you. Uh, that was my introduction to you. And I, I, uh, I, I, somebody like you, I, I, I can't wait to see you on a billboard somewhere because that's where you want to be. So that was our introduction. I just, I just loved it. Uh, it was just, it was crazy. I was such a Love great, and thank you so much for saying that. That was, was very, very kind of you. You did not have to do that. Um, but now it was, it was such a great introduction though, because you were, you were, you are a legend to me. You were famous. So I was wanting to meet and be around you. And I got to meet Starkowitz and Ben Hoffman, all these people. So I was, in the middle of being around Clapton and Zach Brown and Tim McGraw and all these people, I was excited to meet you and these pro triathletes. Like it was, it was weird. It was like I was a kid again, finding like a Stevie Ray Vaughan record and putting it in. I was like, Oh, this is, this is the cream. <laughs> this is the best. It was, I, I will never forget Ironman Florida. That was one of the best races in the world for me. Yeah, and and uh, it, it it is a beautiful event. Just got done with that one, and but now I see you on the street in Kona on Ali'i Drive a few days before the race, which was great. We got we ran into each other. There's Ryan Kinder in his full self, walking down the street with a little shoulder bag on, no shirt on, his <laughs> beautifully trimmed beard, and the whole deal. So the next time I see Ryan Kinder is coming down Ali'i Drive. Well, actually, the, your name popped up on the computer. I go, oh, good, here comes Ryan. And I'm bringing you in, and I'm looking and going, what, 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 what is that? I don't, I don't recognize what's going on here. Is that Ryan? Yeah, that's Ryan. So no beard. No beard. Shaved. And I come running down. I go, I got I to gotta see this. And... Uh, <laughs> I said hello to you, and Heather was right there, and I gave her a look, like I pointed at your face, and she she gave me that look, like I don't know what the hell it is. Shaved, you know, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and I I grabbed you by the cheeks, and I go, what is this? And you laughed, like aha, almost like aha, Mike. I got you and everybody else. <laughs> what what prompted what prompted you to shave your beard before? Did you do it the night before, or why'd you do it? I, I think I did it two two days before. It was Chattanooga two <laughs> years ago that I had a no 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 it was Chattanooga the year in 2019 before um, Florida like, I yeah. did that and had a full beard and it was hot that day so I was pounding Gatorade endurance <laughs> I was hitting goose I was hitting um, Martin I was like all the stuff that you need to do to stay hydrated and keep on your nutrition. And it got to the point on the run to where my beard just... It, have you ever had gum in your hair? <laughs> yeah. It felt like that in my beard. It, it just locked up. Like, I, when I talk, it would just crack. I was like, this, this is why nobody in triathlon has beards. This has to be why. So I shaved it for Florida, and I shaved it for Kona, because it was so uncomfortable. I mean, you're already uncomfortable doing that. It's like, why why add to that lack of comfort and everybody would see a picture they say oh you're trying to gain some speed it's like <laughs> if it helps it helps i just don't want to be in pain all day 
Hey, you had a good ride. You went six hours and something, so you're a little more aerodynamic. That's what you tell them. The heck with them, you know? <laughs> Kona was my slowest ride ever. I'm not proud of that ride. I'm proud I finished it. We, we had a lot better result in Florida. Um, but so yeah. what you learn about you? What did you learn about yourself, Ryan? If I want something bad enough, I won't let anything stand in my way. I know there was a point on the run, or even before that, we were we were talking, and Heather was talking to me. She was like, "Do you do you know what you're going to do to finish this? Are are you ready? Are you mentally okay?" And I said a few expletives in between this, but they're going to have to take me off the course on a stretcher before I quit because I wanted this so bad. It had been so long that I've worked for it. So much stuff has happened. There was a reason for me being there outside of my own personal needs. I was doing this for a friend that had passed away from cancer. That's the reason I started doing triathlons. Mm -hmm. And it had gotten me to the start line at Kona. The last thing I could ever do was, was give up on the very reasons that, that got me started, you know? Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You go through the memories of, of your life and you go through the memories of an Ironman race. They seem to mirror each other. Uh, obviously, the lifespan is much longer than an Ironman day, but they seem to mirror each other. What, what, what do you think, memory-wise, of all the events you've done? If we're sitting around the table just reminiscing and BSing about an event, what, what do you think sticks out the most for you uh, uh, that happened at an event? Positive or negative? I'll go. I'll go multiple positives. Everybody, I mean, as a, as a kid, you grow up thinking that the the gold medal or winning or or a certain pedestal is going to be the memory that you have. But the fastest halves and the fastest Ironman I've ever had aren't core memories. It's the hard times. It's those little moments that you have in, in some of those tough races that are a lot more powerful to me than doing better than I ever thought I could, PRing. Um, there was a moment on the run. So my friend's name was Kyle. He's the one that passed away from cancer that I started doing Ironman for. And I got out of the energy lab, and I'm pretty sure I was crying. I was in pain. I couldn't take on any more nutrition my legs were seized up. I had spent too much time on the bike. I misjudged my um, attack plan for the day. And I realized that it was going downhill. And I'm sure I was crying. And I, I said out loud, Kyle, I need some help. Like, I am, I'm having a tough time here. And not five seconds later, somebody came up, patted me on the butt, and said, All right, you see that cone? We're going to run from that cone to the stoplight. Let's go. And just instinctively, I followed him. And we did that to the finish line. And I wow. talked to him after and I said, you have no idea how much I needed you in that moment. And he said, you have no idea how much I needed you. I was coming <laughs> after you because I was falling apart. And I'll forever remember that his whole family was there. We were hugging like we had known each other our whole lives. So that, that was one of the best memories I've had. And then at that finish line, I know it always comes back to Kona there was there were so many in Florida and so many in Chattanooga and Muncie or wherever I've done it, but this is the most recent, and I'm talking to you. So 
it has to be Kona, coming to the finish line, seeing my family, knowing that I finished, you coming down to give me a hug and telling me I was an Ironman for the second time, the first time I didn't remember, <laughs> and then seeing Chris Nickich come after we had done all this foundation stuff and give me the biggest, tightest hug I've ever had in my life saying, hey, you're an Iron Man. I was like, you're an Iron Man, Chris. You, you are the Iron Man. He just wanted to praise others. Like he wanted to make others feel good. I was like, you are the biggest reason so many people are, are going to go and buy a bike next week. You are so inspirational. And to see him after that and give him a hug, I'll forever remember that. And just having my family in Hawaii, not my whole, my whole family couldn't make it. It was a, a long trip and it's kind of expensive, but having my mom there and my wife, them putting up with all my crap, training, travel, being uh, a zombie after a lot of races, it's, it means a lot to have them there and, and them still want to be a part of this and them understanding why I want to do this, why, why I needed to find my finish line. But, you know, it, uh, uh, the Ohana, our family, is sacred. And when they're with us and support us, we can, you know, the sky's, sky's the limit. And uh, our sport, Ryan, as you know, swim, bike, and run, it's a very close-knit, just like the, uh, you, you know, your, your guardian angel that came up and tapped you on the butt and said, let's get to the next, you know, uh, cone on the road. And, and uh, that's how this sport is. So it's, it's perfect. I, but, I, you know, I want to put you on the spot here. I, I want you to sing just a verse. Right now, a cappella. Give it to us. Whatever comes to your mind. I, you know, close is my favorite, and stay is right there. Oh, my gosh, he's got the guitar there. Yes. Come on, just lay it on us. Lay it on us. I, I was at a wedding this weekend for one of my best friends, and we had a lot to drink. So let's see how the voice is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had pretty much lost it. The uh, don't talk to me about voice things. Just, just come on. Let's hear it. <laughs> I have zero room to talk. You're talking for 24 hours straight. Close, like a little strap to your shoulder. Close, like you've been since you slid over. Close, like that sun is a going down. I sort of want to be now close, you know Maybe we can fly high, find some heaven tonight Get to a place we've never been Maybe we could chance it, first kiss landed Diving off the edge, baby, going all in Letting go where it wants to go Yeah, we might not fall in love Cause you'll come close Sure come close, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, I've got goosebumps. That is just beautiful. I want you all to go out there and look up the Ryan Kinder music, buy all you can so he can get a faster bike and everything will be good in life. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you know that's what is on my Christmas list? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's been an honor and a pleasure uh, it, it, always to know you and to uh, call you a friend. And, and thank you very much for taking your time and coming on Find Your Finish Line. And we, I wish you so much success in your life. And I can't wait to be together with you again somewhere, buddy. Absolutely. Hey, I, I have to thank you. Thanks for being 
who you are and giving so many people a reason to get out of bed, to train, to work towards that finish line that they have found their reason. It It is a huge part that you play in so many people's realization of their dreams. So thank you for being who you are. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being awesome. And I appreciate you having me on the show. You got it, brother. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, presented by Curad Performance, the official medical supplier of Iron Man. And I'd like to personally thank all of you that cards and letters and messages you've sent me with, you know, this being my last season on the microphone. Uh, I get emotional just thinking about it, but it's been one heck of a run. Uh, always know my spirit will be with you at Finish Lines in the future. And I've got two more events with Ironman Arizona here in North America and the last one, Ironman New Zealand. So can't wait to see you all at a finish line on the next few events. Take care of yourselves. And as always, my warmest aloha.